Whatever organization you join, make sure to massively over-deliver. The people who massively over-deliver in the first few years of, of the, any organization that they join, they are the ones who are going to be given outsized responsibility. They are the ones who are going to be given the crazy special projects that might land um, incredible opportunities, new networks, new connections, uh, and be the, the platform to create a new kind of career, maybe a career that other people couldn't have imagined or don't even exist today. So I think if you learn fast, if you learn rapidly and you keep that muscle strong and you deliver outsized results to whatever organization you join, uh, you're going to have an impact on the world. From sunny California, welcome to the Vision of the People podcast a show about visionaries from various industries who share their inspiring stories and give advice to people wanting to make an impact on the world. As always, I'm your host, Rushi, like sushi with an R, and I would like to wish all of you a very happy new year. The show wouldn't be where it's at if it wasn't for your support and love, and I'm deeply thankful. On today's episode, we talk with the amazing Rahul Vora in San Francisco. Rahul Vora is the founder and CEO of Superhuman. Superhuman is a lightning-fast, gorgeous email specifically designed for professionals and power users, especially those with very demanding inboxes. They have over 100,000 people on their waitlist to use the product and have backing from all-star investors from Silicon Valley and New York City. He's also an advisor and investor in many different startups. Before Superhuman... Rahul was CEO and co-founder of Reportive, one of the first popularized Gmail plugins that eventually got acquired by LinkedIn. In his early career, Rahul co-founded Mojo that was sold to Cancer Research UK and he was also a game designer working on the famous game RuneScape. He graduated from University of Cambridge in computer science where he also served as president and chairman of Cambridge University Entrepreneurs. Rahul's humility and optimism were deeply inspiring. Certainly hope you enjoy this wisdom-filled episode as much as I did. All right. Um, Welcome to another episode of Vision of the People podcast. Um, We're here at the beautiful Superhuman office in San Francisco with a really amazing individual. Rahul, thanks so much for giving us this opportunity. You're very welcome. So I want to get right into it with the first question. Um... You're the founder and CEO of Superhuman. Would love to start by uh, getting to know your company and how you ended up starting with this uh, this mission. Great. So Superhuman is the fastest email experience in the world. Most of our customers get through their email about twice as fast by comparison to in Gmail, and many of them see inbox zero for the first time in years. Wow. So I got to this company uh, via another email company. This isn't our first rodeo. I started a previous company called Reportive and ended up selling that to LinkedIn uh, in 2012. And Reportive was the first Gmail plugin to scale to millions of users. When people emailed you, we showed you what they looked like, what they did, why they were based, so you could be more effective in your communications and brilliant with people. At LinkedIn, I saw that company grow from maybe 1,500 people to nearly 5,000 people in just under two years. It was a period of immense growth for us. Uh, And I also ran all of our email integrations. So I developed a very intimate view of 
the email space, especially how professionals were doing email. And during that time, I saw, bizarrely, Gmail getting worse every single year. When Gmail came out in 2004, 2005, uh, it was really fast, it was yeah. really clean, it did one thing, it did it really well, which was email. And over the years, it's become more visually cluttered, uh, it's grown memory leaks, it's slowed down, uh, it is the single biggest reason, Gmail and Chrome, why your laptop runs out of battery. And then on top of that, people were installing these browser plugins, plugins like my own, Reportive, uh, but also newer ones, Mixmax, Clearbit, Yesware, Boomerang. And each of these plugins takes those problems with Gmail that I just listed out. The visual clutter, the speed, the, the offline, uh, the battery use, and makes each one of those significantly worse. So we asked ourselves, what would Gmail look like if you were to rebuild it from scratch, but with today's technology? And the answer is, it would be blazingly fast, everything would happen in 100 milliseconds or less, it would be visually gorgeous, and email would almost become fun. You'd fly through your inbox. That's incredible, especially as someone who uh, does heavy email, <laughs> cold emails. Definitely I can see the difference where Gmail currently is pretty slow than it used to be year over year. Um, so, you know, let's take it back to a few years, you know, growing up, is this, you know, did you know what you wanted to do, or did that sort of come about while you were at Cambridge? Um, like, Walk, walk me through that, like, you know, Rahul a few years back. Yeah, that's a good question. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur when I was about 15 years old. Interesting. Uh, it was pretty clear to me at that time. I'd been programming since I was eight years old. I uh, started the way that many programmers do. I w I'm an avid video gamer, uh, and I wanted to make my own video games. And so I remember being in the library after school, waiting for my parents to pick me up, and I found these books on how to program. So I started reading those and teaching myself how to make the machine do what I wanted it to do. When I was 15, uh, I had already become a, a competent programmer by that time, seven years later, uh, and I realized it was this incredibly valuable skill to have and that I could use it to create products and those products could be sold and you could build companies that way. Uh, and so that was when I really knew what I wanted to do. Wow. That's, so, I mean, that's really interesting. So you've been, you know, in the entrepreneurial mindset from 15, and you've now traversed through, you know, a lot of thick and the thin, being an entrepreneur, especially starting young. What were you say were some of your biggest failures in, in, in life or business or both? Hmm, good question. Let's see. So whilst my last company, Reportive, was a financial success at the end of the day, Okay. Uh, for the founders, for the team, for investors, everyone's really happy. Uh, I think it's maybe Naval Ravikant who said the following, um, every exit is actually a failure. It's never really the number one outcome that the team wanted. What the team almost always wanted to do was to keep building the company, to keep building the products, to keep making customers happier and happier. Uh, and so I would say that my biggest failure in business at that time was not figuring out how to monetize. We had this product that millions of people loved and adored every day, uh, but we never really, in the time that we had available to us, figured out how to make money as a business and become sustainable. Wow, that's, that's super interesting because I've, I've been interviewing, been reading a lot by these entrepreneurs, and 
Oftentimes, that's not like this is the first time. It's a unique answer because a lot of times they'll say like, you know, I was I was kind of tired or done or it was you know near its prime stages. But this is the first time when someone said like could have done better, could have monetized. So that's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Would you would you say you had any like memorable moments from that experience with like Portive, or or any of that failures you were like that was fun or you know something was sad but you know in hindsight looks different now or it's like you know we look back and it's different. I think there. I mean, there were so many memorable moments from Reportive. Um, some bad ones, some good <laughs> ones. Uh, you know, uh, a really great moment for us was when we finally got access to uh, a super secret LinkedIn API. Uh, you know, at, at the time there were maybe only ten companies with access to this API. So essentially, we could provide LinkedIn with a hashed email address, uh, and they would return with the profile associated with that email address and. We didn't have that from day one, of course. We had to hustle our way to that point. But when we got that API, uh, none of our competitors had it. And so the, the data quality of our sidebar was incredibly good by comparison to everyone else competing against us. So that was a particularly memorable moment. And I remember th- thinking, you know, this is in, in a big part what entrepreneurship is about. How do you, how do you find those competitive advantages over time? That, that's really fun for me. That's awesome. That's that's. I mean, hats off to you and your team because uh, you actually helped uh, us. I think uh, what I told you in my email was, Reportive um, actually helped us raise money for our hackathon. Um, so incredibly thankful to you and your team. And shout out to my uh, club, Poly Founders, on my campus. Um, so you know, I've, I've studied your background, which is really fascinating, and you've really had this knack for finding innovative startups. You know, either as an investor now or advisor, you've done. Investing in multiple companies and advising like Monogram, Inbox Voodoo, YesGraph, Placer, Partender. You know, what signs should we be looking for in companies that we want to sign up for or, you know, start after new grads or internships or whatever? The, you know, the really reason I ask is, you know, a lot of companies nowadays, especially here in, in, in tech scene, is they're, you know, they're showing off their hyperinflated valuations and they're attracting um new talent through their perks rather than the mission or the vision. So, you know, what signs should we be looking for in great companies and how do you find them? Mm, that is a really good question. Uh, so your intuition is right. You should ignore the hyperinflated valuations. That uh, There are ways to make that number read essentially whatever you want it to read. And it doesn't necessarily indicate a future success of the company mm-hmm. or, or even a great outcome for, for the folks that may work at those companies. Um, if I were if I were coming out of university or school and I was looking for a great company to work with, uh, my number one criterion would be: Is this a product that I love? Is this a product that I'm willing to work nights and weekends on? Is this a mission that is worth doing? Uh, is it something that I really care about? So that's the first thing: Do I love the product? And the second thing is: What kind of people work here? And how intentional is the company being about the culture? Mm-hmm. You, can ha- you can find companies where the product is great, but the people are less than great. They may be less than great because they're not at the caliber that you, that you would ideally uh, want to be around and learn from. Or maybe they are really smart and hyper-effective, uh, but they don't have the same ethical values, perhaps, as you do. Or they don't think about business in the same way um, as you do. And I realize it's, it's hard at that point because you may not have a clear sense of what your values are. Uh, but, but when you're interviewing, I would say walk around the office, speak to as many people as possible, try and get a clear sense of 
what the company values and why the company values it. Um, and that will help narrow the search as well. So I'd say number one, find a product that you love. And number two, find a company whose values resonate with you. And then number three, try and come to some kind of uh, reasonable assessment of how successful you think the company is going to be. If the company is doing a good job in the, in the recruitment process, they'll, they'll sell you a story about um, an outcome of, of some kind, how they're going to take over the world. Uh, really, really poke holes in that story. You know, ask intelligent questions. Um, see how detailed and thought through the strategies and the plans are. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, you'll have the data to make up your mind. It's an interesting, um, interesting way you put it, and I think definitely brings some clarity um, as a bunch of my friends and my colleagues and peers are kind of going through that phase. Um, you know, it's always a question of, you know, would I enjoy this or do, am I just looking as a stepping stone? So, so thanks for putting that um, in a nice way. So the next question, which is definitely a, a, a entrepreneurial tech focused question, is, um, you know, it would be, it wouldn't be really a startup conversation if I didn't ask you a contrarian question. Uh, something that's you know intrigued me ever since I read it. I think Peter Thiel um, was the one that originally might have mentioned it. Is you know, what do you know that is true that no one else agrees upon? Hmm. I do love this question. Um, it's not just Peter Thiel. I think many of the best investors in the valley have noted that it is the contrarian companies that end up growing the fastest and delivering all of the returns. And we certainly do any number of contrarian things at Superhuman. In fact, we're known for being incredibly contrarian. Uh, and so I'm wondering which of the many weird things that we do should I pick to answer this question. I would say, uh, let's go with the following. A lot of startups obsess around the quote-unquote launch. Uh, I actually have a different philosophy on launch, and I, I won't claim to have invented this. This actually came to me uh, from one of our angel investors, which is you only ever really launch for one of three reasons. You either need one, more customers, two, more capital, or three, more candidates to recruit. It's what I call the three C's, customers, capital, or candidates. Launching for any reason other than that doesn't make sense to me. And so we Superhuman, we're in a place where we're doing great across all three. We have a, a long wait list of people who want to buy our product. We're extremely well capitalized and fortunate to be in that position. Uh, and we do great at recruiting as well. And so we don't have uh, a particular pressure to launch. And in fact, there are many benefits in not distracting the company and in just focusing on week to week, quarter to quarter growth behind the scenes wow that's interesting because it's always about you know the facebook uh motto or used to be is you know move fast and break things just launch so it's for it's nice to actually get a contrarian viewpoint which actually kind of makes sense you want to you want to actually put uh your mind and thought into into launching something that kind of fits your niche well i do very much believe in moving fast and whether or not you should break things depends entirely on the values of the company and to tie it back to the previous question for us breaking things would be anathema uh, because we're, we're selling a product at a premium price for a mission critical business function that is email is the the literal opposite to a company like facebook that is giving a product away for free uh, for your personal life not for your work life for the most part so whatever you do in a startup you have to move fast there, there are you're not going to succeed unless you move fast. 
Um, but you can do so without launching, and, and that's really my point. You can move fast even if you're not in the public eye. Got it. And actually, that's a that's a perfect segue um, since you brought up startup life. Um, I want to, you know, startup life is definitely seen as a, as a constant struggle and a hustle, and I've certainly seen you um, yesterday, and you got packed schedules, you're skipping lunches. Um, you know, it's often portrayed that you must be working 20 hours a day towards your product. You know, walk me through your day if possible, and, you know, how does that look like? Is it, I'm sure it's not the same every day, but, like, if you can walk me through how, how uh, your life is currently. Sure. Well, <clears throat> every day is different. Um, it really depends what the main priority for the company is at, at any given point and, and where, where I am in, in my development. Uh, I would say that my job has changed every six months or so. Hmm. And what I'm doing today, the way that my schedule looks today, is very different to how it looked six months ago. Six months ago, I would have spent most of my time working on product. So what that means is reading customer feedback emails, reaching out to customers, spending time with customers, writing product specs, and helping get the roadmap in order. Hmm. Um, as well as on the other side of writing code, quality assurance, and making sure that uh, we're delivering an incredible customer experience. Uh, today, my job is it's just completely different. You know, we're about 20 people right now. We're going to between double and triple our headcount over the course of the next 12 months. Uh, and so I'm preparing the company for that. I'm preparing myself for that. Uh, almost all of my days are back-to-back -back interviews for the key roles, the key hiring managers that are, go that are going to make the subsequent hiring even easier. Yeah. And it's a question of figuring out the right order uh, and the best people in order to make that growth possible. Wow. How do you... Okay, so that's that's interesting. So you're now phasing in, but every phase you're, you're like super focused and you're working hard. But like how do you... How does, you know, Rahul really de-stress from all of it? Is is there a de-stress phase in this? Like on weekends? Like are you working on weekends too? Or like what do you do for fun that's outside of Superhuman? Also a really great question. And uh, this is a muscle that I'm developing over time. Uh, so these days I'm... You know, I've learned my lesson in the past, actually in my previous company. I ended up hospitalizing myself because uh, I worked way too hard and got way too stressed uh, during that experience. And, and that, was a, that was a pretty tough time for me, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, so this time around, I'm coming at it with, I think, much more perspective uh, and the realization that working all the time isn't the best idea. Spending less time working at a very high quality on the problems that are the highest leverage and the most important to the company. That's the most critical thing to do. Uh, in terms of how I de-stress, so I'm, I'm a big fan of working with professional coaches and experts of all kinds. Uh, I've worked with five, six different kinds of coaches in all aspects of my life over the years. Uh, and right now I'm seeing three that are very relevant to the business. Uh, so, so number one, I, I work with a therapist. Uh, and this therapist um, helps me introspect, helps me reflect, helps me uh, understand how feelings work. And if I'm feeling down or sad or stressed, helps me realize that it, it is just a feeling. It isn't necessary reality. Uh, and I think that's the thing that founders forget is today's reality is actually probably the same as yesterday's. It's the same as last week's. It's probably the same as last month's. Um, yet our emotions often ride a roller coaster. They, we feel incredible one day and depressed the next day. Uh, and we have to learn to observe those feelings uh, and, and to reason about them critically. 
and to develop um, methods for for thinking about those feelings and, and for, for eventually controlling them and allowing them to flow through us. And so I work with a therapist uh, on techniques for dealing with that. Uh, and then more on the professional side, I work currently with two executive coaches, uh, one who has uh, done the functional role of VP of Engineering several times over, took a company public, uh, and another who's coached many awesome CEOs and leaders, who's worked with um, Jack Dorsey, with Mark Zuckerberg, some fantastic CEOs over the years, to help them transform and stay pace with a very rapidly growing company. Uh, so between those three professionals that I work with, uh, I think I keep a pretty good handle on my stress uh, and I'm preparing myself for, for the growth that we're going through right now. Wow. I mean, that's fascinating. Two things. One, first of all, you know, thanks for, for, for being transparent and sharing that personal story. I know um, it's not always easy going, going through that phase and just shows the amount of dedication you've had um, being so driven in, in the entrepreneurial journey. But second was... Um, really appreciate you taking the courage um, and you know sharing that because a lot of times I've been reading lately that um, you know having these therapists or having these coaches and mentors hasn't been like something that a lot of people, especially in the valley, have been prone to do or or at least be open and transparent about having therapists and stuff. So um, thanks for sharing that because I think that that's something I especially need to do even at this stage. I'm nowhere close to what you're doing, but. I also have my mentor that I talk to if I'm going through various stages. I'm like, hey, you know, no one's responding to my emails or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, it's good to have someone that you can talk to that will kind of walk you through it. So thanks for sharing that. So now getting on to the more tactical st- side, um, what's a book that you, you know, recommend or what's a book that's had a tremendous impact on your life? Any, any specific ones, any book that you think everyone should read, especially in people in their 20s? Yeah, there are so many to choose from. I would say that perhaps my all-time favorite book that's had a huge impact on me uh, is The Art of Game Design. And that's a mm. book by Jesse Schnell. Uh, you may have noticed that uh, each, each of the conference rooms in Superhuman uh, has a lens on it. And, and the way that this book is laid out is, <clears throat> well, it teaches you how to be a great game designer. And I think that any entrepreneur... Uh, even entrepreneurs who aren't necessarily building consumer experiences, maybe you're building enterprise experiences, would stand to benefit tremendously from reading this book because at the end of the day, we have to create experiences that people want to use, uh, ideally that delight users, and that they keep coming back and and, and use on a daily uh, or at least on a regular basis. Uh, And so The Art of Game Design is this incredible book that aims to teach game design, and in this book they have lenses. So the lenses are different viewpoints or or frameworks or factors with which to think about the design of your game. Uh, and we certainly bring that approach to how we build Superhuman. Uh, we bring it to the ethos of the company. And all of the conference rooms, as I mentioned, are named after one of these lenses. So when you, when you look up and you see that sign, they have interesting, thought-provoking questions or frameworks that you can bring really into any discussion, whether it's uh, product design, company design, or just a challenge that you're facing. Interesting. I was actually noticing. I was like, I was curious what those things were. So thanks. It actually lines up. So, you know, when I emailed you going into, you know, you know, last few questions of this podcast, um, when I emailed you, I told you my mission and what we're really trying to do here in, in inspiring the next generation, especially people in their 20s who have so much potential to make a drastic impact. 
you know, like uh, in the world. So what message, say, would you pass down to, to your 20-year-old self if he could go back in time? I would say move to Silicon Valley and join an incredible startup sooner. So I actually didn't come to Silicon Valley until I believe I was about 26 years old. And so that time period between 20 and 26, that's six years, wasn't particularly productive. I was learning skills. I was trying to build things. I became a competent web developer during that time. I learned how to raise angel funding, developed a network. I did lots of great stuff. Uh, But it was back in the UK where the still today the, the potential upside for what you can build and how fast you can learn and the impact you can have isn't as great as it is here, which is why I'm here, it's why you're here, it's why we're all here. So I would say to a 20-year-old who, who wants to make a mark in this industry and wants to make impact through technology uh, would just be as, as hard and as difficult as it is, certainly not easy to live here, uh, move to Silicon Valley. Interesting. Okay, so go to where the hub of all the technology is if that's where your heart is. Exactly. Cool. So, okay, last two questions. Um, what's Okay, so now that we know, you know, the advice you passed on to, to your 20 years off, knowing that you were really fascinated by tech, but, but if we can even zoom out further and look at all the people um, in their 20s wanting to make an impact on the world, and that could be in law, that can be in um, the social sector, that can be in technology, space, whatever it may be, you know, you know, what skills do you think we need to, to build a future? You know, I'm a big fan of you all, Noah Harari um, from Sapiens. And he, he says, you know, the four C's, which I always mention, is critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity. But, like, from your perspective, what skills do you think we need to build the future? I think of this less as learning specific skills and more as keeping a certain meta skill going extremely strongly. Specifically, most 20-year-olds are going to leave school, hopefully, having developed a very strong muscle for self-learning. It's unlikely that you will have done well at school unless you got really good at teaching yourself things. And what I've seen many many young professionals struggle with uh, is keeping that muscle going. Uh, and I myself faltered with this from time to time, and I've built it back up over the years. I think the most important thing for someone in their 20s who wants to make an impact, even outside of uh, startups in Silicon Valley, uh, are the following two things. Number one, keep the muscle for self-learning really, really strong. And there are some specific ways you can do that. Uh, You can listen to podcasts like this one. Uh, You can read books regularly. You can uh, curate Uh, blog authors that you really enjoy uh, and read their thoughts regularly. The point is to constantly be learning new things. And that's incredibly important. Too few people do that. Uh, In in fact, it's it's one of the things we specifically test for in our hiring rubric is, are you self-directing your own learning? Are you learning rapidly? And we don't hire people who don't fit that. Uh, The second thing I would say is, whatever organization you join, make sure to massively over-deliver. The people who massively over-deliver in the first few years of, of the, any organization that they join, they are the ones who are going to be given outsized responsibility. They are the ones who are going to be given the crazy special projects that might land um, incredible opportunities, new networks, new connections, uh, and be the, 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 um, the platform to create 
a new kind of career, maybe a career that other people couldn't have imagined or don't even exist today. So I think if you learn fast, if you learn rapidly and you keep that muscle strong and you deliver outsized results to whatever organization you join, uh, you're going to have an impact on the world. Wow, that's awesome. That's really appreciate you mentioning that and laying that out. It's funny you mention that because uh, when, when I was back in college, we would, after the finals were done, we would you know talk about the professor and how they taught or sometimes. And sometimes you don't end up with a really good professor and you end up just saying like, we basically taught ourselves, you know, all that coding or data structures or whatever. So you're very right. Like, you got to keep that muscle going, even though there's no study guide in life. But you got to have this craving and this, you know, you got to let the curiosity really um, shine within. My experience with professors, uh, and I was fortunate to study at the University of Cambridge. I, I had, had, you know, by by any measure, some of the best professors you can have. Uh, it's still nothing like teaching yourself. Yeah. Um, I also started the the PhD program at Cambridge. I started a PhD in machine learning and computer vision and pattern recognition. Um, and that was completely mistimed, by the way. I mean, it would have been a great thing to do now, but back in 2006, it wasn't, wasn't the best time to do that. So I ended up dropping out to start companies. But the point is, you can't get into a PhD program like that. In fact, you can't really learn anything to any depth by listening to a professor. There's only so much that the spoken word in 15 hours across a semester can convey. It's, it's just impossible. The only way that you can really get to grips with things in any level of detail is to study in detail, is to study intensely, and in a, in a vocational area like uh, programming computer science, to build, to build lots of stuff. Awesome. Spot on, honestly. So last question before we get to our 30-second round. Um, You've worked with some of the best, you've influenced some of the best, supported some of the best, but it seems like you're just getting started. So, you know, what is your vision and, and what sort of world do you wish to build? That's whether that's through Superhuman or, or even in general, I leave that up to you. But what is your, what is Rahul's vision right now? Oh boy, I love this question. Let's see. So there's various ways, uh, various levels on which I can answer this. Uh, the... The reason superhuman exists is is to make you brilliant at what you do. And we really do mean that. Not just great, not just effective, but actually brilliant. You, me, and the other one billion professionals in the world. In fact, we have a saying inside the company. We want to make software that professionals can use so that they can get to the end of the day, lean back, and feel happier, more productive, and closer to fulfilling their potential. And I don't think today's software reaches that, that level of uh, ambition, of making you feel great at what you do, and not just feel great at what you do, but actually helping you be great at what you do. Uh, and for me, that's the vision, that's the holy grail, that's why I get up every morning, that's why I'm here, that's why we're all here. Um, in terms of the company itself, uh, you know, Reportive was, was a great outcome, uh, but it was a single product business. As I mentioned, it didn't monetize, uh, and we ended up selling, uh, which any, on, any founder who's being truly honest with you will always tell you that that was never plan A. That was, that was always mm. kind of the fallback plan. Uh, for Superhuman, I want to build a company that's here 100 years from now, uh, and that's uh, assuming we still have software, which I think we will, uh, still creating incredible software that's unlocking the potential of professionals across the world. That's awesome. Uh, couldn't think of a perfect way to finish the podcast. So moving on to um, you know, last 30-second round, it's called This or That. 
super fast. I'll, I'll give you two options. You just pick one. Um, so here we go. Skittles or Snickers? Skittles, absolutely. Lamborghini or Tesla? Lamborghini, definitely. <laughs> FIFA or Super Smash Bros? Obviously Smash Brothers. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Hot or cold? Hot. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. And final, email or text? Obviously email. Perfect. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we wish you all the best. Um, thanks again for having us out here. Really, really um, thankful from the bottom of my heart and the entire team at Vision, the People Podcast. We wish you all the best and thanks once again. Thank you, Rishi. We really hope you enjoyed that. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Please like us on Facebook at Vision of the People Podcast. And do give your thoughts to me at Lil Rushi Shaw on Twitter on who I should have next on the show. If you found this insightful or interesting, share it with someone that could find this helpful. As Mahatma Gandhi once said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. Till next time, keep striving.